Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. The Bible is very clear that God is a speaking God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, the Word of God says that God, who at various times spoke to us through the prophets, now speaks to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, we know that the Son of God has been called the Word of God because Jesus speaks to us. Now, there's something very true about the Word of Jesus. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is living and powerful. The word of God is living. God wants to send a message to you. He wants you to hear from him his will for your life. And so what he's done He's given us his spirit and promised in John 16 that his spirit would guide us into all truth, not some truth. That means there's theological truth, spiritual truth that he has for our lives, but he also has some real practical truth for our lives. Not only does he want to answer the questions of who am I and what's my purpose, but I need you to know something. He also answers the question of, where do I go to college? How do I pay my rent? You see, we're not reading a book when we have our devotions. We're actually having a conversation with God in written form. Now, you shouldn't think that's strange, because we all have email. Some living person will type out an email to you, ding, on your computer, You will read the email, and you will respond not to the computer. The computer's not alive. You are responding in text form to someone that sent you a text message via email. But the person that sent the email is a real living person. Can I tell you that the Word of God is God's email to each and every single one of us? He is a living person, and he sent an email, and he expects a reply. I see this happen all the time with your phones. I've told you before. Every once in a while, I'll hear, and then everyone starts reaching for their back pocket. Because some living person has sent you a written text, and you want to respond to that real person. Well, God wants to speak to us because he's the living God. But not only is the Word of God living, the Word of God is powerful. Every word that God has spoken of is powerful. And this word, it's where we get our word energy. It means active, engaged in work. It means it's effective and it can have an effect. I need to help you understand something about the powerful Word of God. In fact, The first century Jew referred to God as the Word. And the reason why they referred to God as the Word was, one, they couldn't say God's name. It was too precious. It was too blessed to say the name of God. 
So they had a name for God called the Word. And the reason why they called him the Word was because when God spoke, the world was created. Things that were empty and void became beautiful and filled with life. That's the power of the Word. In fact, it's why John called Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And what John was doing is letting the first century Jew know that Jesus is God. And when Jesus speaks, he can take empty, and he can take void, and he can make a new creation. He's the living God who's got the power to put his word into action. Now, the word has great impact. The word, when a, uh, a pastor will speak the word of God or you will read it in your devotion, it has an impact on our hearts. It's powerful. It can change the way that we think and the way that we feel. The word of God can guide us into all truth on how we can glorify the Lord. And let me tell you something. There is power in word. Timon and I were at Bank of America on Friday. And I tell you what bank, because I'm probably going to write a little note to Bank of America. And we were in line, and we were waiting, and as soon as we got up front to Bank of America, the lady looks at me and goes, what do you want? (laughs) Okay, someone's having a bad day. (laughs) Okay, And I get it. There was a lot of people in Bank of America, and I understand there was a lot of pressure. So I looked at her, and I said, well, I just want to let you know that outfit looks great on you. (laughs) And she went, Power in the word. I gave her a word of encouragement. All of a sudden, her whole day changed. And then one of her coworkers came right up to her. I need to see you now. Well, hello, how are you? What'd you say? Whoa. Um, I just want to know, how are you doing? Are you having a good day? It seems a little busy. Well, it is busy. Well, I'm going to pray for you. She went, you're going to pray for me? It's amazing the power of a word of encouragement. It can change someone's life the same way of the power of the word of discouragement. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. What a lie. Words can hurt Words can damage. Words can discourage. Words can change people's lives. And Mark, in Mark chapter 14, wants us to know the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Jesus is meant to guide us into all truth. Let's take a look, Mark chapter 14. We'll pick it up in verse 12. Mark chapter 14, we'll pick it up in verse 12. Now, on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, he's putting us in context, part of the week we're in, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? If you're taking note, the first of several, seek the word for your every direction. Seek the word for your every direction. Gang, this is a very practical question of the disciples. I need to remind you something that Jesus said. 
Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man don't have a place to lie down his head. They didn't have a headquarters. They didn't have a home to go to. They didn't know where they were sleeping from one night to the next. This is a very practical question that he's asking. Listen, we got to prepare the Passover. Where do you think I should go to college? Where do you think I should live? What career do you think I should have? I mean, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to study? Uh, Who do you want me to marry? I want to marry this one. Oh, don't marry that one. Marry this one. What if I don't want to marry that one? You see, you have to understand, the question that they ask Jesus is not, now tell me, Jesus, does Adam have a belly button or not? I mean, he wasn't born of a woman, and theologically, I would like to know, does Adam have a belly button? Do you know, I know of a church in New York City that split over whether or not Adam had a belly button or not. We are so spiritual, aren't we? But these questions are not just about big spiritual questions. That's not the only questions that Jesus wants us to ask. He wants us to ask questions about everything that pertains to our life. Where do you want us to eat dinner, Jesus? Where do you want us to prepare the Passover? What a practical life question because Jesus is very concerned about the details of our life. He wants to guide us in every decision we make. And the Bible has an answer. Turn with me to 2 Peter. I want you to see this. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 2. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. So I want you to know about God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As his divine power has given to us all things, not some things, that pertain to life, very practical, and godliness, spiritual. Through the knowledge of him, so we got to know the word, who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. In other words, the more you learn about Christ, the more you'll become like him, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, in other words, give it everything you got, add to your faith. Be diligent about knowing what God has to say. Seek the word for direction and life because he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's made you. He knows how you best operate. He knows the best woman for you to marry or the best man for you to marry. He knows the best job for you. Seek him in all things, not just the theological, but the practical. Listen, he did a good job with Abraham, telling Abraham what to do. He did a great job with Moses. He did a great job with Daniel, telling him what to do. He was speaking to them, and he wants to speak to you. Are you seeking him? Are you seeking his word for your every decision in life? Because I want to assure you, 
that it will always lead to your greatest success. Gang, do you know I wanted to be a doctor? Did you know that? I went to, I had my, my major was a Bachelor of Science in pre-medicine. I was a biology major with an emphasis in virology. I took my MCAT. I was a paramedic. And I worked in the emergency room until one day a woman comes walking in. She didn't come walking in. She was on a gurney. She had a head injury. When I saw her bleeding, I passed out over her on the gurney. Aren't you thankful I'm not your doctor? You come in with a little wound, and I go, whoa, I'll be right back. God knew what was best for me, and even though I wanted to be a doctor, he diverted me after taking my MCATs so that I would be a pastor. And guess what? I'm your pastor, and it's so great. Now listen, it's because God knows me, and I asked the Lord, is this doctor thing for me? And he said, no, and sent me to Liberia and made it very obvious when I woke up to smelling salts over this woman that I'd passed out on in the emergency room. Church, are you seeking him for your greatest success? And Mark wants to prepare us for what it means to live by his word. When we ask Jesus and when we seek him, we need to know what's going to happen. And Mark lets us know. Go back with me to Mark's gospel, chapter 14. We'll pick it up in verse 13. And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he'll show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. If you're taking note, maybe you'll write this down. The word will always lead us to take steps of faith. The word will always lead us to take steps of faith. And this is probably the biggest reason why people don't seek the Lord for answers of their daily life. This is Peter and John. This is Peter and John. They have gone to Jesus and they said, where would you like us to have dinner? And Jesus goes, hey, go into Jerusalem. There's going to be a guy. He's going to be walking around. He's got water on his head. I want you to follow him, go into the house, and then ask to meet the owner of the house and say to the owner, hey, where's the room? We'd like to use it. Peter and John leave this moment. And they're walking down the road. Okay, maybe we shouldn't have asked Jesus about where we're going to go for dinner. He wants us to go into the city, and (laughs) there's going to be some guy carrying a pitcher of water. First of all, guys don't carry the water in the first century world. Girls carry the water in the first century world. How are we going to find a guy carrying water on his head because guys don't even carry water on their head in the first century world? That's what girls do. And then John and Peter are walking, and John goes, (gasps) Peter, there's the guy. That's the guy. So what do we do? Do we follow him? Do we do what Jesus says? I mean, what is it? Can you imagine what's going on in their minds? And then, okay, they follow the guy. Peter looks at John and goes, this is creepy. We're following some guy and we're going into his house. They go into the gate. They go, hey, can we meet the owner of this house? And the guy goes, uh, sure. Goes and gets the owner and says, uh, where's the room you prepared for us? And the owner goes, oh, it's right upstairs. You be Peter and John for just a minute. You go to Jesus and say, hey, where do you want to go for dinner? And he goes, follow the guy with the water on his head. 
I mean, think of what Jesus is asking them to do. Could you stop for just a moment and think of Noah? God speaks to him and says, build a boat. A what? I've never heard of a boat. Well, there's going to be rain. What's rain? I don't know what rain is. Think of Abraham. I want you, God speaks to him, leave your family. You want me to do what? Leave my family? How can I leave my family, my poor father, my brother? You want me to leave my... Think of Jonah. Hey, Jonah, you go to your enemy and you tell them to repent. Let me tell you something. Assyrians, that's Nineveh, Assyrians invented the cross. Romans perfected it. Assyrians invented torture. And God sent Jonah to them. Let me tell you something. You wouldn't run either? You wouldn't go the other direction? Think of what God has asked people to do in taking steps of faith. But there's a reason he does. There's a reason he said, follow the guy with the water on his head. And the reason is because Jesus will always lead us to take steps of faith because it pleases God. In Hebrews chapter eleven six, 6, the Bible says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Jesus' word will always cause us to take steps of faith. Now take a look at Mark at 4, 14, 16. No one's going to be surprised. So his disciples went out, came into the city, and surprise, surprise, found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. None of us are surprised that the word of Jesus came to pass. The problem is, we want it to start with verse 16, not end with verse 16. We want to know the end result. We want to know why. We want to know how. We don't want to walk by faith. We want to watch a movie of our lives and never make a mistake. We want to see the whole thing, and so that we don't have to walk by faith, we can walk by sight, because we don't want to fail. But I've got a question. What if failure for you is part of God's plan? What if failure is part of God's plan? To grow you up in Him. Because let me tell you something. My greatest life lessons have been in my failure, not in my success. The Word of God will always lead you to take steps of faith because it pleases God. And you can trust that whatever Jesus has told you to do, just like the disciples, you'll find it just as Jesus said. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you something else about the Word. The Word will bring conviction. Take a look at Mark chapter 14, verse 17. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, So Passover meal's been prepared. Peter and John have cooked it. Everyone shows up. He says, listen carefully, Assuredly, I say to you, in other words, you can count on my word, one of you who eats with me will betray me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, it's the one, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. In other words, I'm doing exactly what God told me to do. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. If you're taking note, the word will bring conviction. Each of them were there wondering, is it me that will betray him? 
each of them were feeling some sense of guilt because they would all eventually betray him. All of them forsook him and fled that night at the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, one of them, when the, Roman, when the uh, uh, soldiers grabbed him by the cloak, he ran and he ran. The guy held on to the cloak and he left his cloak and ran away buck naked. He was so afraid. They were all convicted because every single one of them had a little betray in them. So they were all asking, is it I? Am I the one? Am I going to do it? Is it me? And let me tell you something. I love this question. I love this question. Because this is a question that each one of us should be asking every time we dig into the Word of God. Is it me? Because I find as a human being, we're really good at deflection. As soon as we read a verse, we send it to a friend. You really need to hear this. I see it all the time in church. I will say something and a wife will do this. Are you listening? (laughs) Or a husband will do this. Are you listening? My mom, oh, when we were going to the church of our choice, my mom, when she, when the pastor would say something that she knew that I needed to hear, she had the two-finger press. And her fingers, let me tell you, there is power in these fingers. And those fingers would go on my thigh and she would look at me. Are you listening? (laughs) Oh, we always think the Word of God is for somebody else. It's for Aunt Sally who's mean. But maybe God's trying to get across a message to you that you're mean and stop texting the verse to Aunt Sally. (laughs) Amen? Amen Amen means you agree. (laughs) Amen means you agree. The Word of God is going to bring conviction. We should always be asking, is it I? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Take a look at the screen. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, God has spoken to us in His Word. It comes from God. Everything you read is from God. It's the email from God's, from God's mouth straight into your screen. And it's profitable for doctrine. Now, that's an important word. That means it's good for teaching. In other words, you need to learn it. That's what we're doing here on a Sunday afternoon. You're learning the Word of God faithfully and diligently. But it's also good for reproof. Now, here's what that word means. That means you are found guilty. You are convicted of a charge. You have been found convicted of some kind of wrongdoing. It's actually a legal term. And at the point that you're found guilty, you can say, I confess. You're right. I did it, and I'm sorry. But with God's court... You can run to the throne of grace and receive mercy. Or you could be like Judas. Not guilty. And I'm not saying a word. And I'm not going to say anything. But you're still going to face the consequences. Just ask Judas. Six days prior to Mark chapter 14, six days prior, Judas had already struck the deal. He knew it was him. Six days prior, Judas had already received the money. Judas was just trying to figure out how he would do it. 
And I love the Lord Jesus Christ who is purposing to reach him with the word to bring conviction on Judas's life. But Judas refused to be convicted. Church, the reason the word brings conviction, and I know sometimes it doesn't feel good, The reason the word brings conviction is to show us what needs to change in our life so that we can be more like Jesus. Conviction is actually an act of kindness of the Holy Spirit to lead us to repentance. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 21. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. Jesus heard God speak to him, and he was going to obey God no matter the cost. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's saying, listen, what I've lived by, the word, I am using conviction for you to do the same. I want you to live like me. And I heard God the Father speak, and I'm going to a cross. I know it's going to cost me. And so my spirit will convict you despite the cost. My spirit will convict you to live by the word as well. The word will bring conviction. But the word will also do something else. The word will always remind us of what Jesus has done. And the word will always remind us what Jesus would do. The word will always remind us what Jesus has done. And the word will always remind us what Jesus would do. Take a look. It's Mark 14, 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, he's speaking to them, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, you can count on my word. I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is at the traditional Jewish Passover meal that was instituted by God, and he is giving us the institution, the sacrament of communion. It's a time for us to remember Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Now, at the communion, excuse me, at the Passover meal, when Jesus would break the bread, it was matzah. So you would hear a crack. And when that crack would happen, he would say, this is my body broken for you. And then he would take the third cup of blessing, the cup of salvation, and he would give this cup and he would say, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood, which is shed for you. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, the Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. And I am thankful every single time we do communion at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Because every time I remember what God has done for me, it provides a course correction. Many of us got maps on our phone. We put in where we want to go. Have you ever missed an exit? She won't be quiet, will she? As soon as you miss that exit, rerouting, rerouting, and she'll just annoy you until you find your way back on the route. And don't you dare stop at Walmart and accidentally leave your phone on because she will talk to you the entire time you're in Walmart. You need to get back on track, brother. That's what communion does for me. 
When I think of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it offers a course correction for me that whatever is wrong in my life, I want to make right. That's the point of the cross. The point of the cross is that Jesus has made our wrong right. We can be in right relationship with God because of the cross, because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But the cross does something else. And Jesus speaks it so clearly to us. He says in verse 25, Assuredly, I say to you, you can count on this, I'm speaking it to you, the word. I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You see, the cross not only tells us that we can be saved from our past, the cross also reminds us of our future. Do you realize one day we are going to sit, according to the book of Revelation, at the marriage supper of the Lamb? And Jesus is going to pick up that cup in the kingdom of God, and we are going to enjoy that dinner with the Lord as his bride, the church. Let the church say, amen. Now, let me tell you something about being the bride. Now, some of you guys won't like this, but let me tell you something about being the bride of Christ. I've never done a wedding where the bride shows up in her PJs. Now, I've had 30-minute late weddings, I, one time I had a four-hour late wedding, and the bride was upset that everybody left. They went to the reception. They were serving the food, so they went. So I did the wedding quick, and then we went to the reception. Let me tell you something. But none of them will show up in their PJs. Do you know what they do? They take all day to prepare. Now, I don't know how long it takes to put on lipstick, okay? I don't know. I don't know how long it takes to fix hair. I don't know. And someone at the 1030 service shouted out all day. <laughs> I mean, how many coats can you put on? Listen, I don't know what it takes to put on that dress. For me, all I do is button up, tuck in, put the tie on. I'm ready to go. But a bride... Oh, easy, ladies. <laughs> but a bride, she will start at 6 a.m. She's got... eyebrows to pluck and eyelashes to put on. I saw a lady yesterday, and they can't be real. I mean, when she shut her eye, I was like, you're not going to be able to lift it up. Don't blink. Don't blink. (laughs) And then I don't know how long it takes to put on hair, but let me tell you something. That bride doesn't want to show up in her PJs. She wants to look her best. Hey, bride of Christ, you putting your makeup on? You getting your robe of righteousness on? Because we got a wedding ceremony to go to. And are you taking not the day, but your life? to be prepared for that moment. Go back with me to 2 Peter. I asked you, I told you we'd go back there. 2 Peter, now chapter 3. Look how Peter puts it. 2 Peter, I want you to see this church. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Look how Peter puts it. He says this, But the day of the Lord will come as the thief of the night, which the heavens will pass away with great noise, The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. 
Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be, now he answers his own question, in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Stop there, if you would, for just a moment. Peter is making it very clear, are you getting ready? Are you choosing to get ready, bride of Christ? Are you choosing to have holy conduct and are you living in godliness when you hear the word of God spoken in your life and feel the conviction? Are you doing anything with it to get ready for that great marriage supper of the Lamb? Let me tell you, the word will always remind us of what Jesus has done, but it'll always remind us of what Jesus would do. We've got to put on Jesus in holy conduct and godliness. Finally, Mark chapter 14, would you go back there with me? Mark chapter 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We just did that, didn't we? We sang three hymns, four. And we sang them out loud, just like Jesus did after the Passover meal. There they are, Kumbaya, my Lord. I don't know what they were saying. Maybe, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Maybe, amazing grace. Or maybe, hallelujah. I didn't make any other service do it, but you guys did it great. But could you imagine the moment? They just had Passover, and then they worshiped. We just did that. From this moment, the Jewish Apostle Paul writes this to the church. Take a look. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's called our worship part of our service. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you. I got a confession. I like doing church on Sunday mornings because there's not a lot that can happen before church service. But on Thursday nights, that's a full work day for me. And sometimes, some things bad can happen and your pastor can walk in with a bad attitude. Want to make that little confession? And that song will sing, stop looking at me. You guys have had bad attitudes when you've come to church a couple of times. Amen? Amen? Okay, those of you that are not agreeing, you can repent later. All right, here we go. And then all of a sudden, the music will start. And my heel gets all spiritual. I don't know what's going on. And the next thing I know, my body starts getting a little spiritual. And then my hands go up. And now my heart begins to change. And all of a sudden, as I'm worshiping God, my bad attitude has turned into gratitude. And I'm giving glory to God because we're speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. There's something about worship that refreshes our soul. Because the Word restores and redeems our lives. You know what they were singing? 
They were singing Psalm 115, 116, 117, and 118. They were singing psalms. They were singing the word to each other. And the word was encouraging them. The word was inspiring them. And they leave this moment. They leave the great worship service. And now take a look at verse 27. Then Jesus said to them. This is where the sermon part of the service begins. This is when the word of God is then spoken. After the four songs at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Then Jesus says to them. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it's written, I'll strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Wow. It's a great worship experience. Gannon wrote a new song, and everyone feels so great. And then I get up to teach. Oh, conviction. Didn't like that. Can we go back to a song? Like that. Can you just imagine this for just a moment? They have been in the upper room worshiping like kumbaya with Jesus. I mean, what a great worship service. He's in the room. And now as they're going, Jesus has to deliver a very difficult message. Every single one of you are going to forsake me. These are his buddies. But this is what was written. And Jesus was going to be true to the word of God. And let me tell you something about your pastor. Sometimes I've got to get up here, and I love you. Let me tell you something. I love you guys. I love seeing you at Vons. I love seeing you at the gym. I love seeing you at CVS. I love seeing you at Home Depot. In fact, when I go to Home Depot, I have to say, you'll be there an hour. Because I'll run into you, and I love it. And I love to talk to you, and I love to hear what's going on. And you guys will start with, I'm sorry to bother you. You're not a bother. I'm your pastor. I love to see you. And sometimes when I get up here, and you've just had this great worship moment, and I know I've got to deliver a very difficult word. Jesus says, it's written. It's written. But I want you to know, that I'm going to be the pastor that will speak what God has said. Because I believe with conviction of wrongdoing in our lives, there is redemption and there is restoration. Look what Jesus said in verse 28. But after I've been raised, after the resurrection, I'll go before you to Galilee. I love this about Jesus. He knows they're going to make a mistake. And he says, my death, my burial, and my resurrection is going to redeem your lives. I know you're going to make a mistake, but I'm not giving up on you. And when you've confessed your sin, I'll meet you in Galilee. Jesus knew there would be redemption. And if there was redemption for the disciples, trust me, if you've not lived up to the word of God, there is redemption for you. The resurrection means that he can redeem all of our lives. But now, church, you got a choice. Like every single one in the world, you have a choice in how you're going to respond to the word. You see, I don't know what he's convicting you of. Maybe he's convicting you to forgive. 
Maybe he's convicting you to let go of your bitterness and resentment. Maybe he's convicting you of some lustful practice in your life. Maybe he's convicting you of something I have no idea about, but the Spirit is ministering to you right now. You have a choice. You have a choice to either follow through in that conviction and say, I'm guilty, and get to the throne of grace. Or you could be, take a look at Mark chapter 14. Verse 29, Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you. In other words, I'm telling you and I'm saying it and everything I say will come to pass that today, even the night, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But he, speaking of Peter, spoke more vehemently. In other words, he's trying to get his point across. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. You could be like Peter. Peter couldn't handle the word. Peter could not receive it, so he rejected the word. I don't know what was up with Peter. Maybe he had something to prove. Well, I'm like, (laughs) I'm the leader of all these disciples. I've got to stand for you. So, Jesus, your word will not come to pass in my life. You know what I used to tell my kids? The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Go ahead. Try to prove it wrong. Hang out with those people and see how good it gets. You can't prove the word of Jesus wrong. He says, I'm telling you, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter says, no way. I'm not going to follow your word. Maybe he didn't like hearing what Jesus had to say. So he rejected, he rejected the word. Church, you got a choice. We can receive the word. And though conviction may hurt, it will always lead us to be restored and redeemed. Or you can choose to reject the word. But I need to assure you of something. You can be sure that the rooster will always crow. The alarm will always sound to remind you God's word is right whether you reject it or not. It's your choice. You can receive or reject? Which one will you do? Our Father, how grateful I am for the Word. And how thankful I am that you've given us your Word that we might live for you. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would receive the Word. And I don't know what the Spirit is ministering to you today. And I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands or come forward today. But I want to pray for you. Don't be like Peter. Because the rooster will crow to remind you. Don't be like Judas. Who God spoke the word, but he rejected it and remained silent. So, Lord, as you're ministering here in this place, I pray that 
your people would receive the word and not reject it. And I don't know what you're speaking to them, but I believe your spirit is moving. And so God, would you just give them a spirit to receive no matter how it feels? Because we walk by faith, not by our feelings. To God be the glory for your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay, we memorize scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Would you say it with me on the screen? For the word of God is living and powerful. Make sure you read your email today and tomorrow and the day after. He's got a message for you. You're challenged to change. Gather with Christians this week in your upper room, your dining room, your family room. Gather with Christians this week and remember the Lord in communion. You see, the first Christians, when they celebrated communion, they did it after every meal. The first Christians, they did it, the Bible says, in their homes. We do it corporately just to make sure that we're doing it. But the way they did in the book of Acts was in their homes. And so this month, what I want you to do is get together with your spiritual family. Have them over for dinner this week. Pray for Go Witness Week together. And choose to remember the Lord in communion. Break the bread and drink the juice. And remember Jesus. That's our challenge to change this week. Even if it's just you and your wife, remember the Lord. Bring the corporate setting into your personal room. And I guarantee the Spirit of God will minister to you. We're going to worship the Lord. Now you can reject or receive that. The Bible says, speak to each other in hymns and songs and spiritual songs. Now, some of you can stand there when I say worship the Lord, and you'll be like, I don't like that song. (laughs) Listen, you can reject, speak to one another in hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. You might even offer an excuse. I don't have a good voice. We know. Even the Bible knows, and the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And listen, if the person next to you doesn't sing well, and you do, just turn and sing louder than them, straight to them. (laughs) Don't reject the word, because if you reject it in singing in church, you'll reject it outside. Receive the word, and now as we worship, speak to one another in hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. To God be the glory. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.